Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Knowledge with Homage. I'm your host, David Castle, coming at you live. Well, probably not live. You're probably listening to this in the future. So I'm coming at you from the past. Today's date is September 30th, 2020. And as always, I hope that you're doing well out there. Shout out to Young Bangers on that beat right there. I do have some new music coming soon, going into the studio tomorrow, I believe. Record a few new songs and see if I can make something happen. But yeah, as always, I hope that you're doing well out there and staying sane through these insane times that we're living through. I know it's hard, especially when you're privy to uh, the knowledge of what's actually happening. It, it makes it hard to to go through this charade and these ridiculous rituals that we're being forced to partake in wearing the mask and doing the social distancing and and all of that especially when you know the truth about what's happening or the lack thereof because there's a lot we are being lied to about and that is irrefutable that is just a fact Ah, where I live, it's smoky again. Big, big wildfires. Suspicious wildfires. I think it's quite possible that they're using some sort of directed energy weapons to burn down cities for whatever reason, just to make things that much more crazy and unsettling. Maybe they're making room for a big uh, railway system. I've seen people theorize about that. We really don't know. It's impossible to know. Uh, you know, thoughts and prayers out to the people who are who have been affected by all of these fires. It's been an insane year for that, and I anticipate this happening over and over again. And uh, you know, the same things that we saw in the Paradise Fire, where all of the structures burned down, but all of the trees are left standing. It's usually in low-income neighborhoods, trailer parks, and things like that. And these people are just left high and dry. There's nothing they can really do. Um, and it sucks. So, you know, that's terrible. And of course, they're going to blame it on climate change and say it's because of, because of global warming, but never mention the fact that they control the weather. They're spraying millions and millions of tons of who knows what into the atmosphere. We know they spray barium, uh, silver iodide, manganese, aluminum, whatever. They, they spray nanobots. Little uh, freeze-dried erythrocytes, those are blood cells with more gallons in them. They're, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the sky. Uh, the weather is completely controlled and manipulated through cloud seeding and also through their ionospheric heaters, places like Harp in Alaska. But they also have um, like transportable installations like that now. I, I believe it has something to do with the... The towers they got set up, the cell phone towers and all that stuff, the next rad, it's all completely wireless. And they control the weather, but they'll never mention that. It's always about climate change, and the climate change is just part of the big agenda towards the New World Order, towards the globalist government. And it's just an excuse for them to do whatever they want, for the corporations to get billions and billions of dollars in handouts through the carbon tax credits, and for the government to take away our rights, make it so we can't drive our cars anymore, 
to where we can't own land. About they want to abolish private property. It's all part of Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, written down by the big big foundations who create the legislation and the policies for the government, the governments of the world. And that's just the way it works. Uh, but besides that, yeah, all you can do is try to, you know, get through it and, and you know, make the most of it. Here, like I said, it's been smoky because of all the fires. Uh, kind of a bummer, but what can you do? We're still in lockdown over here in Nevada. You got to wear your mask. Be a good little slave. Put your mask on. Even though it's been... Uh, the efficacy of the mask has been disproven multiple times. Of course, everyone's always grabbing at their mask and and getting all their germs on it or reusing the same mask for weeks on end or using cloth masks that, which have big holes in them. And the holes are much bigger than the viruses, so it's going to go right through it. It's like trying to stop a mosquito with a chain-link fence, essentially. So the masks do nothing. It even says on the uh, the box that you buy the masks in, even like the the blue ones with the little loop things that go around your ears. I guess they're all like that, but you know which ones I'm talking about, the most popular one, the disposable one. It even says that it won't protect against coronavirus. So it's like, it, it's all part of a ritual. This is, there's a lot invested in this, uh, this COVID-19 hoax, the pandemic, this giant scam that we are experiencing. And they're so invested in it that it really has to be in the forefront of everyone's mind at all times. And that's what the mask thing is. It's also a muzzle. Like, it's it's telling you subconsciously to shut up, slave. You know, don't say anything. And it also uh, cuts us off from each other's facial expressions, which is a majority of communication. It's all, most, most of communication is nonverbal. It, it goes through little gestures that people make with their face and, uh, you know, body language, that's huge, and it's something that we just learn, it's like a, what do they call that, you know, it's like an instinct, you see someone, and you flash a little smile at them, and then it lets you know that they're not a threat, and that you guys are cool with each other, when you're cut off from that, it, it creates anxiety, and fear, and it makes you suspicious of the people around you, so the masks are, are further dividing us in a in a time in our country when we haven't been this divided in a long time because everything is meant to create division uh they're really playing up the race stuff and the republican versus democrat charade so everything is is aimed at at making us dislike each other and making us dislike our neighbors, even people in our family who may disagree with us on trivial political issues, uh, anything to divide us. And this is part of the strategy to destroy this country, uh, destroy this republic, which was once pretty good. We had some good things going on here for a second, but we're moving into, the, we're experiencing the Great Reset. We're being moved into this new society that they have planned for us. And... Uh, they're not very candid about it. Is that the right word? I don't know. They write it down in their books. You know, they they talk about it in their conferences. So it's no secret, but it just requires people to go and search for it. It's not going to be told to you on the mainstream media, so most people will never find out about it. And uh, they believe in this Republican versus Democrat 
show that is put on for us, which is nothing more than just a ridiculous display. It's like a reality TV show. We just had the debates here last night. Well, not here. I mean, in America, I don't know where you guys are listening. Maybe there's someone overseas listening to this and they don't know about American politics, which good for you. It's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, left wing, right wing, both wings of the same bird, if you ask me. It's meant to give us the illusion of choice and nothing more because the endless wars still continue. You know, George Bush came into office after Bill Clinton, George Bush Jr., uh, right after Bill Clinton came into the came into office after George Bush Sr., and George Bush Sr. had the Desert Storm where he attacked Iraq and started that war with Saddam Hussein, killing a bunch of people, innocent people in the Middle East, some combatants, but a lot of innocent people die in war. It's just how it goes. Really, wars for no reason. We don't benefit from it in any way. Maybe select companies who donated to the Bushes and her homies with them get some money. But the, the average normal person doesn't get anything. And the soldiers, don't. they just go over there and die or, or get PTSD. So they don't gain anything from it either. But they convince you to do it by telling you that you can get a free education or something like that. So think about how, how messed up this system is where in order to get an education... Uh, for the government to take care of your education for you, you have to go halfway across the world, literally as far as you can away from your home, and kill some person you've never met in your life who has a completely different thing going on, who has never done anything to you in the first place. You have to go murder this person in order for you to go to school. So it's quite a ridiculous system, but we are trained to to go along with it through movies and video games and all that. So yeah, George Bush Sr. did the uh, Desert Storm thing. Bill Clinton came into office, still fighting, still doing all these wars and stuff, killing innocent people around the globe for who knows what reason, making a lot of people money in the military-industrial complex as well, and also to go get resources from these countries that we blow up and take over and create regime changes in and all of that. Uh, and then George Bush Jr. came in. We had 9-11 which the Project for the New American Century group, this neocon group, which included high-level members of the Bush administration, uh, they came out and had a list of countries that they wanted to invade. This was in the late 90s, and they talked about how they needed a new Pearl Harbor-type event in order to justify the invasion of these Middle Eastern countries. And sure enough, right when George Bush came into office... After a much-disputed election against Al Gore, of course, Al Gore went on to do all the climate change stuff because it's all a big club. They're all in on it. It's all just a show. It didn't really matter who got in and in the first place. Maybe it did, but <clears throat> they're all part of the same group. Uh, the election came down to a dispute in the state of Florida, which George Bush's brother, Jeb Bush, was the governor of. So they did a recount there. And, of course, uh, Georgie came out on top and became the president, and then shortly after that, we had the 9-11 attacks, and boom, that was our new Pearl Harbor event, and that justified the invasion of Afghanistan, and then a couple years later, we went and invaded Iraq, for no reason, they had nothing to do with 9-11, and I don't think Afghanistan had much to do with 9-11 either, 
In fact, there are connections between the Bin Laden family and the Bush family. The Bin Laden family actually gave George Bush a million dollars to start an oil company. How many of you guys know that? They don't talk about that on the news very much. But it's true. You can look it up. So, uh, and of course, Bin Laden, Osama Bin Laden was a CIA asset who went by the name of Tim Osman, was trained in the U.S. to uh, lead his Mujahideen fighters against the Soviet Union uh, during the 80s. And then he decided that he hated freedom and wanted to blow up the World Trade Center where the two most big towers in Manhattan just collapsed in their own footprint and didn't damage any of the surrounding buildings. Pretty amazing. And of course there was World Trade Center 7, which wasn't hit by any plane but just disappeared as well. Uh, If you want to learn more about how the World Trade Center towers were probably destroyed, uh, the best scientific analysis that I've come across was that of Dr. Judy Wood and her book, Where Did the Towers Go?, where she explains how the World Trade Center complex was more than likely destroyed by some sort of weaponized free energy technology similar to stuff that Nikola Tesla was working on in the early 1900s um, where it's basically a directed energy weapon like a laser beam that just blows things to smithereens and turns it into dust and like molecularly uh, like disintegrates things. It's, it's, it's crazy shit. Uh, regardless of the way it was brought down, there's a lot more to it than what we are told in the official story. It, it's a joke. Most people, <clears throat> at least a, a, excuse me, at least a large majority of the population knows that there's something fishy about 9-11 and don't believe the official story. So if you know that and you know that the government was in on it or, or at least had a part in the 9-11 attacks, then how could you possibly think that voting for these people who are uh, put out in front of us, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, it doesn't matter. They're all part of this shit. How, how, how could you think that they're going to go in and they're going to change something? And that's what I don't get about the the Q movement. It's it's all a psychological operation. Donald Trump's not going to save you. He's part of it. And that's pretty obvious. So, and I kind of went off on a tangent there, but what I was trying to get at is that it doesn't matter who comes into office, these endless wars still continue. They, they'll still keep going. And why are we even over there? We're not gaining anything from it. We're just spending money. Yeah, the military industrial complex makes money, but the average person doesn't get anything from it. We just have to repay the debt. So they borrow all of this money from the federal <clears throat> the Federal Reserve, which is a private bank, where they just type in numbers to a computer, and uh, boom, they, that that becomes money somehow. <laughs> it's not even part of the government. It's not backed up by anything. It's just an idea. It's just numbers on a computer. And they can type in as many numbers as they want, and then so all of a sudden we have that much money. But the taxpayer is indebted, so we have to pay all that shit back. And uh, we obviously we never can, so we're forever debt slaves uh, because the government decided to take loans and do something with that money that doesn't benefit the American people at all. So it really is an incredibly corrupt system that we live in, and... Most people will never quite see that. Uh, they have cognitive dissonance. They just there's a psychological thing going on in their brains that doesn't allow them to see what's actually happening. Uh, I think that the reason for this is that people 
usually look at other people and try to see similarities with themselves in this other person. So they look at themselves and think, well, I could never do that. I would never do anything that evil or, or um, you know, horrible. So how could this person do that? But And they don't understand that there are people out there who are willing to murder people, who are willing to steal and lie and cheat and do all that stuff. And that's the reason why they're so successful at it is because you can't see yourself doing that, but there are other people who are willing to do that and are doing it and have been doing it for thousands of years. It's just a fact of life. There's some messed up people out there. But for some reason, uh, a lot of people just can't see that. And they believe in this, this these hoaxes or these uh, elaborate charades that are put in front of us, like the, the political thing. Meanwhile... There's a whole hidden group that is really controlling the government, creating legislation and and steering things from behind the scenes. Uh, the politicians are only there for you know a temporary amount of time, but for some reason they all go along with the same agenda, and and the agenda just continues. So you know they're all handled by people from the outside, and there there's something going on behind the scenes. There's a deep state. Uh, just like Donald Trump talks about. Now, Donald Trump tries to say that he's against the deep state and he's going to expose them, but he hasn't done any of that. Uh, he, he's part of it, you know? He's a deep state operative as well, whether he knows it or not. I'm sure he does, though. And so is Joe Biden. So is Bernie Sanders. So are, the, so are all of them. You don't gain that much uh, notoriety and become that well-known as a political figure without being part of that group, or else you'll be killed if you're trying to do anything good. It's just the way it works. And what came out with the Epstein thing was something that a lot of people had known for many years was the fact that these people are controlled through blackmail. Epstein wasn't just some random, horny billionaire who just you know wanted to have these sex parties and was so friendly that he invited all these celebrities and political figures to come partake in them on his private island. He was part of a much bigger group, and they use these these sex tapes or whatever you know they record them having sex with children and doing all this horrible stuff essentially they're satanic rituals um but they record these prominent people doing this this crazy stuff you know this disgusting these disgusting things that only the lowest people would do and and then they use that to hang it over their heads and say that you know you got to do what we say or else we're going to expose you and that's the way many, many of these uh, political figures and celebrities are controlled from behind the scenes is through blackmail, through through the sex stuff that they do with kids and whatever. You know, this is a fact. This came out that this is what was happening. It it wasn't exposed in the media as well as it could have been because the media is all part of it too. The mainstream media. There's uh, private investigative reporters and journalists who who've done a lot of good work on it. People like Whitney Webb. Uh, who writes the, for The Last American Vagabond, she's done interviews with Epstein's victims uh, back in the 90s. You know, she didn't do the interviews uh, with them in the 90s, but she did it recently. But uh, this chick was like living with Epstein in the 90s and was talking about all of the crazy stuff that was going down, how he was friends with Donald Trump and Donald Trump's wife, and they used to go like get little girls together and stuff. Crazy stuff. But yeah, Epstein was just part of a bigger like intelligence operation, a honey trap is what they call it, 
where they lure you in with sex and uh, use it to blackmail you. So you got to go along with what they're doing. And I think a classic example was uh, <laughs> I just saw a video of The Rock come out and he's like looking on, he's like super buff, obviously. And he's just in this painted on shirt. And he's just outside talking about how cool Joe Biden is and how he's going to vote for Biden and uh, how him and Kamala Harris are just the greatest thing ever. And I just, I was just thinking like, dude, this guy definitely was banging some kids and like now he's got to, I don't know, endorse Joe Biden because of it, because he's getting blackmailed. Maybe not. Maybe he's an upstanding guy, but I don't know. Anyways, so... This whole political charade, I mean, just look at the debates last night. I only caught a, a little bit of it, but it's so ridiculous. I mean, they're like children. They're like children, but they're so old. They're they're really just like grumpy old men yelling at each other. And to think that for like somehow these two men are the most qualified, best people to lead the 300 plus million people of America towards greatness is just is just ridiculous. How could anyone believe that? It's not about that. These people are just figures. They're people to throw tomatoes at. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the same agenda continues, and this is all just part of the show. Now, look at what's happening with these two guys. You got Trump and you got Biden, and they're, it's just so divisive. You have Trump who's like, uh, appeals to like the white, conservative people who want to make America great again, which is just some, like, arbitrary notion, like, make it great, like, like when, you know, I mean, what do you mean, what are we going to get, what are we going to go to, where, where it's all of a sudden great again, and then you have Biden, which is just the opposition to Trump, and people hate Trump so much that they just want to vote for Biden, and it doesn't matter how senile and old and stupid Biden is, and how rapey and weird he is with kids sniffing them and who knows what the fuck that he does. But, you know, the guy's a creep. But people will still vote for him because he's not Donald Trump. So when when the political system is set up like that, do you really have a choice? Do you do you really think this thing is legit? It's ridiculous. I mean, come on. Come on. And it seems like they picked the two most divisive figures that they could have chosen. And it's meant to divide the people against each other too. For example, I'm sure you've seen something like this where you go onto your social media, maybe it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and then you see a person say, if you like so-and-so, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, just unfriend me now because you're a racist, you're an idiot, you're all these things that I hate, and you are just the epitome of evil because you like this political figure. Do you see do you see how that's like mind control and and how this person has been trained to like be a sheep and just hate their friends and their family, people who otherwise they might get along with really well. But since we have these polarizing political figures in front of us, uh, people go one way or the other and it divides us from each other. Because they associate Trump with racism, and Biden is just an idiot, so it's like, it's pretty good the way they've, they've done it. I mean, it's not good, but it's pretty clever. And this is part of dividing the country, so we'll be easier to conquer. It's the classic divide and conquer strategy, because we're going through 
a revolution. And it's not like a good revolution. It's not a grassroots revolution where the people are going to get more freedom or more rights or something. Um, that all sounds fine and dandy, and that's how these uh, opposition groups are going to like preach it. But that's not going to happen. They're just being used by people behind the scenes to move into this new system that they've created, this technocratic system, which includes more government control, more surveillance, less freedom for you, less private property, uh, less freedom of movement. And, you know, you can't have a vehicle, all these things. They just want to move into this new society where it sucks. (laughs) It sucks for the average person. You're just a slave. I mean, you're a slave as of now, but at least you have a few rights and you can actually move around, kind of. Not really, since the COVID thing. But, yeah, uh, these revolutions tend not to work in the favor of the average person. Go figure, right? And you could study the Bolshevik Revolution and and see what happened with that. You had the, the czars uh, that ran Russia for hundreds of years, the Romanovs, I believe it was, and, uh, you know, it sucked. There was a lot of very, very poor, poor people living in the cities. The vast majority of people were poor, starving, drunk, and just not having a very good time. They were very dissatisfied with their leadership structure. Meanwhile, you had the royal class who lived in giant palaces and just were completely detached from the rest of society. They were rich as hell and having a good old time. And people were sick of it. So... You know, they overthrew the government, but then the Bolsheviks got installed. You had Trotsky and Lenin, and like millions and millions of people died as a result of that. And it didn't improve the quality of life for these people in any way. And, you know, communism was responsible for tens of millions of deaths. Uh, because after Lenin, you had Stalin, and that, you know, he didn't help anyone out. He killed millions and millions of people, starved them to death. And the quality of life of the average Russian didn't improve at all. Uh, And the communists who preached equality and and everyone paying their fair share and everyone having the same amount of money and all of this, they were like billionaires, trillionaires even. So they they just became the new royalty and uh, were doing the same thing as the other guys. So this is really what happens in revolutions, especially communist revolutions like it seems to be happening here. Uh, they, they say that everyone's going to be equal, you know, we're going to get rid of this ruling elite class and everyone's just going to, you know, live in this, this paradise, this idealistic society where everything's all good and there's no corruption or anything like that, but it never happens. It's just, they just get replaced by other people and they just, I don't know, it's never what they say it's going to be, but they mobilize people who are discontented with their own life people who are frustrated, people who are poor, and they use them as tools in these uh, revolutions. And I will give you some examples of that from a book that I'm reading right now called The True Believer, written by Eric Hoffer, all the way back in 1951, which perfectly sums up what we're experiencing right now. So yeah, if you're still believing in this uh, left versus right dichotomy, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's all a charade. It's all a joke. And the classic example that I always revert to with regards to this is the 2004 election between George W. Bush and John Kerry, who were both members of the same secret society at Yale University called Skull and Bones. And there, there's only like a few people, a few kids who get into the secret society 
every year. And what are the odds that out of 300-something million people that these are the two individual motherfuckers chosen to to lead the country, to face off against each other, and uh, these are just all of a sudden the most well-qualified people to lead the country. And, like, the dude is a descendant of a president, too. So it's like a, it's like a uh, patriarchy. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a royal lineage. And it's come out, too. This 12-year-old girl came out with this family tree showing that, like, pretty much all of the presidents are related to some European king, uh, you know, from hundreds of years ago. So there is this bloodline that they keep going where if you are born into a certain family and you're related to certain people, you're you're going to get uh you're going to have a better life. You know, you're going to have more opportunities because they do cater to their own blood. And that's the way that society is stratified stratified. You know? Uh but in addition to that, it there's no telling what will happen after the election and it is kind of a frightening time to be alive. In addition to the COVID-19 thing, which I don't think is anything to be worried about, the virus itself, the economic effects, though, are something that should be concerning because this has never happened in history. They've never shut down an entire economy and, you know, told you that you you can't do business and, uh, you know, you can't earn a living for yourself and provide for your family. This has never happened before. And it's going to have disastrous effects on everything, you know, um, and we're we're still in the beginning of it, really. We we really haven't. We're kind of just kicking the can down the road, and who knows what what effects this is going to have on us. Now, people are so radicalized uh, with, you know, you have the radical left and you have the radical right, and there there's a lot of tension between these two groups to where maybe. After the election, you know, the shit might go down. This could be the trigger event for some sort of civil war. And this has actually been simulated. Uh, They did a simulation which, uh, if I have my phone, I could see it. Uh, Derek Bros just wrote a really good article for The Last American Vagabond. I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can read it. It's really long. It's like 4,000 words, so I'm not going to read it on here. But he goes over the possibility of there being a lot of civil unrest after the election this year in November. And they've simulated events like where people hack into buses. They must be like self-driving buses or some shit, but apparently you can hack into cars now and make them crash where like people drive buses into polling stations and and kill a bunch of people and just like massive terrorist attacks on 9-11. And this was actually simulated by uh, high-level people in the government, because they do these exercises. We're actually in an exercise right now with this whole COVID-19 thing. Um, they simulated the COVID-19 pandemic with an exercise called Event 201, which involved people from uh, the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the Johns Hop- Hopkins uh, University of Health. So th- that's what they do. They they create these little simulations and, and play act for the things that they plan on happening. And the fact that they are planning for some civil unrest after the election is concerning. Uh, Now, I'm not saying you should go live in a bunker or something, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a couple weeks worth of food on hand, um, some guns, ammo, 
you know, because who knows what could happen, dude? Anything could happen, and it's it's not it's not unwise to be prepared. Because some people are saying, like, you know, Biden whims, maybe Trump won't leave. He won't leave office, and there will be some sort of military coup and and just riots in the streets and all that. And just what we've seen with the Black Lives Matter protests and cities literally being burned down, businesses who had nothing to do with the cops, nothing to do with killing an unarmed black person or anything like that, being burned down. And there are paid Antifa motherfuckers that are doing this kind of stuff. You know, this is a fact. And this is a terrorist organization. If you're going around and burning down businesses, um, then you're a terrorist and you should be held accountable. And the people who are funding you are funding terrorism and therefore are doing something illegal. So they should be held accountable as well. But they're not. And that should make you raise an eyebrow and be like, well, why aren't these people being held responsible for funding terrorism? You know, that's kind of a a big no-no, right? You're not allowed to fund terrorists and and give people money to burn down buildings and stuff, George Soros. Uh, But but they're letting them get away with it. So this tells you that this is all planned. This is all part of the plan. And there is a real sentiment there with with people being upset with with the police and just the violence that that goes on with the police in this country, which is a fact. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. I don't think abolishing the police force is the answer to that because what will that be replaced with? It's going to be replaced with more surveillance and like robocops and stuff. They have this stuff out there on you know they they got drones patrolling beaches and yelling at people. They got drones with flamethrowers and guns and shit. Drones with predator missiles and stuff. So uh you you're going to get rid of the human cop and replace it with a robot that has no feelings and no remorse and and nothing. You think the cops are bad now? Wait until you're being policed by a robot. And that's the thing that people don't understand is that there's always a backup plan. And that's the way the Hegelian dialectic works where you create a problem, you initiate a reaction by the people so you can move them to your predetermined solution that you had planned all along. So... You have these crazy cops who are assholes who, like, beat the shit out of people because they don't listen to them or because they're racist or whatever reason. You know, cops beat up just as many, if not more, white people and women and kids and old people and whatever, you know. They're, like, they're beating the shit out of everyone. (laughs) But they do focus on the race thing to further divide white people from black people. Um, Regardless, the cops are assholes. They're dicks. A lot of them, some people are good, but most of them aren't, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, you militarize them, you give them all these weapons, you you make them kind of (laughs) nuts and, you know, always scared. You don't train them properly. You take them right out of the military from where they can just beat the shit out of, like, some Afghani person and and get away with it. And then you take them from there where they they have PTSD, they're all fucked up in the head, and then you put them on the police force because there's a revolving door between the military and the police. Once you're in the military and, you know, you become used to having all this authority and being able to tell people what to do, it's hard to reassimilate into society and take a job as, like, a busboy or something. You're going to go into a job where you have some authority and you get to tell people what to do and carry a gun and all that. So 
they get out of the military and then they go into the police and they bring these same tactics that they were using in the military to the regular civilian world. And yeah, you create all this unrest. So obviously people are going to get beat up and then, you know, they, they play it up with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, create all these demonstrations and like <clears throat> call for the defunding of police and all that. So that's the reaction. The problem was you have cops beating people up, and then you have the reaction, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and all of these people who have real sentiments and, and uh, they dislike the police for various reasons, as you should. Uh, so they can implement their predetermined solution, which is greater surveillance and like a robot police force. Because that's where it's going to go. Uh, you can look, I mean, drive down any road, go past any an intersection with a light, or even just the the light poles that are meant to illuminate the, the street, they all have cameras in them. You know, they you're being watched by like a million different angles at all times. Your phone is always listening to you. Your computer is always listening to you. So is your TV. And that's another thing to think about with uh, these businesses that are being burned down or the people that are getting the shit beat out of them in the street, you know, by uh, these supposedly peaceful protesters, which, yeah, a lot of them are peaceful, but there is violence that happens, too, so to call them all peaceful is lying. Um, <clears throat> but to say that, you know, we don't know, or they, rather, the government, doesn't know who is burning down these businesses or murdering these people in the streets and beating them up, it's untrue because they can track your cell phone everywhere you go. That's how they catch a lot of like gang members who are going to put in work. They do like a drive-by or something. If you bring your phone, you're going to get caught because they can triangulate your position with the cell phone towers because you're always giving off a GPS signal. So I, I know somebody who got caught for killing someone like that because um, he brought his cell phone. They were like, dude, we know, <laughs> we know you were there at this exact time when this guy got shot, so you're fucked. And uh, that's the way they do it. So your phone is like a surveillance tracking device. And they're even coming out and saying it now that you should download this app, this tracking and tracing app because of COVID-19. And then if you've come in contact with anybody who supposedly has this virus, never mind that most of the PCR tests give back false positives. And the president of Tanzania, I think it was, tested like motor oil and like a banana and just all these weird things that couldn't possibly have the COVID-19 virus. And, uh, you know, a bunch of them came back positive. So that just refutes the efficacy of this test and the legitimacy of it. It's completely rigged to give back false positives. And even the guy who invented uh, this testing method, the PCR test, admitted that it isn't necessarily 100% foolproof. And, of course, he's dead now, so he can't come out and, and talk about how it doesn't work. But, but yeah, it's um, it's interesting, this, this system that we're being put into now, because a lot of things that you know, conspiracy theorists have been talking about for years are now coming to fruition and are just right in our face. And I think a lot of people are waking up to the truth, but um, not enough. <laughs> Not quite enough. And it's dangerous, too, when you're looking for alternative information 
there's so many traps that you are led to that are just false. There's so many falsities, like the cube movement, for example. Uh, you have people who are really concerned with the fate of their country, and they want to learn the truth, and they want to believe that there's somebody in the government that is helping them, and there's this, like, almost like a comic book style um, movement or, or, like, organization or, like, superhero who is trying to help you and looking out for you and stuff. But it's just not true. It's, it's part of the deception. It's part of the system of deception. So there's all these traps for you for you to fall into, and that goes with the 9-11 truth movement. They're, they're called shills, and they're paid actors who actually work for the intelligence communities, whether it's the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, whatever. They're paid to infiltrate these movements and to make it so they don't go anywhere. They did the same thing with the civil rights movement. They had people infiltrate uh, Malcolm X's movement, and same with Martin Luther King Jr. They had CIA actors in there that were in there, like, fucking shit up. Um, so that's the way it works. That's what the CIA does. It, they, they infiltrate organizations and fuck them all up. They do it with the chemtrail movement, so nothing ever goes anywhere. They promote disinformation. Uh, they do it with, you know, like I said, 9-11. Just, just any number of things where people might organize uh, to, to speak out against because there's so much evidence to prove the existence of these things that, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to prove that it's actually happening. But then you get these people who come in and they fuck it all up and they lead people in the wrong direction, you know, and, and get people arguing about the shape of the earth instead of, these real tangible figures who can be held accountable for their actions. You know, whether or not the Earth is flat or round, I don't know. I've never been to space. So I can't say with 100% certainty that it's either one. But I do know that just focusing on issues like that will prevent you from from seeing the real people who and the real organizations that are responsible for so much death and destruction and, you know, the loss of freedom that, that we're experiencing here. So, yeah, you, you got to be really hesitant to dive into anything like that. And it's it's a crazy thing when you're first um, starting to look at this type of information. And it's really hard to find stuff nowadays. It's a lot harder than it was 10 years ago. Um, there's just so much censorship on the internet, and if you don't already have a few figures in the truth movement that you follow uh, to get your information from, it's really hard to find them now because people are being pulled down from YouTube, uh, getting their websites shut down. I think it's a really good idea if you have people who whose talks you listen to or have made documentaries or or anything like that that you like and that you think is important information, you should get a hard drive and and or a flash drive or whatever probably a hard drive because there's a lot of information out there get that and put that onto a physical thing where you can keep it for yourself because if you try to rely on the internet the internet is all controlled by the government or whatever you know it's controlled by the fucking beast so they can rip anything off of that as we've been seeing with all these youtube videos they can they can take them down at any time you know the internet was designed to get everybody onto it and get all of our information so they can simulate all of these scenarios and know how we'll respond to them it was, it was made for data collection that's why they call it a net because they want to get everyone trapped in it or a web you know the world wide web 
equals 666 in a, in a different language, in the language of Gematria, because W is the 24th letter of the alphabet. Uh, 2 plus 4 is 6, so it equals 666. This is an actual language that is encoded into a lot of these these big events. For example, 9-11, equals emergency. You think this is just a coincidence? These are all parts of the joke, you know, for the insiders, for for them to look at and be like, how naive are these people where they actually believe that this was a coincidence that it happened on this particular day? Um, but yeah, so if you have anything on the internet that you like, that you think you want to show to other people in the future maybe, it's not a bad idea. In fact, it's absolutely essential that you download these things onto a physical thing that you have in your own possession that you can refer back to. Um, because if you just rely on it being on the internet forever, it's not going to be there forever. They're going to they're gonna lock shit down here, and it's happening at an astonishing rate. So, you know, back up all the stuff that um, you find to be important, or else it's going to be gone forever. And that's just the fact of the matter here. Now, uh, I've been reading a book called Black Rednecks and White Liberals, written by Thomas Sowell. I think it's Sowell. Maybe it's Sowell. Very, very smart guy. Uh, he's a historian. He's a black man. Um, been doing incredible work for, for many, many years. And this particular book focuses on the slavery issue. And this is something that's you know in the forefront of every conversation, every day that involves politics or, or social unrest or whatever. It's always about slavery and uh, the oppression of one group of people and the privilege of another. This is the the narrative that is given to us. Now, if you were to read this book and and find out the real history of what's going on, you're going to recognize that not everything is so cut and dry. Not everything is so black and white. There's a lot more going on than what we are led to believe. And like I said, this whole race thing, there's an agenda behind it. There's a reason why they want us arguing with each other and hating each other. It's to keep us divided. Um, it, it relies less on historical fact than it does on like ideological I, you know, ideas and emotions. It's, a lot of it's just made up. It's not even true. Now, take for example the fact that slavery has existed for thousands of years. And it did exist for thousands of years before... You know, white people ever went to Africa to enslave black people and bring them back to America on the slave trade. Uh, slavery existed in all different types of cultures. White people enslaved other white people. Black people enslaved other black people. Asians enslaved Asians. It was just a fact uh, of life. It, it's happened for thousands of years. So it's not a race thing, or at least it wasn't for a long time. Now, it became a race thing... Um, after white starting enslaving blacks. Now, the only reason that happened, the way slavery works historically is one society who is more powerful moves in to a society that is less powerful and takes them over, uh, captures them, and makes them be their slaves. So they might have, you know, what, whatever sort of superiority they have, they use that to their own benefit to go and conquer these other people, then they capture them and make them their slaves. Now, historically, you did that to your neighbors, you know, people around you, different tribes who might not have been organized as good as you were or didn't have uh, as good of weapons 
or something like that. So they're just at a disadvantage. You go in, you fuck them up, steal them, steal their bitches. I'm sorry, that's a, that's a bad word. You steal their women, their kids, the, the guys, and you make them your slaves. Now, it doesn't matter what race they are or anything like that. Uh, it You just use them because, you know, you, you're getting some slaves. <laughs> I don't know. Historically, that's the way it worked. Now, as time progressed, that method of enslaving other people became less and less feasible because people started to organize into nations where they actually had armies and they had a a way of of defending themselves. So they couldn't just come in, like you couldn't come in with your group of people, your little army, and just destroy this tribe and enslave everyone. Uh, These people organized themselves into cities and nations where they could defend themselves. So it wasn't so easy there was a lot of risk involved to go and and try to like conquer people and enslave them. So people had to go start searching farer and wider for people that they could enslave. And it just so happened that Africa at this time, you know, during the the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s when the slave trade was uh going on, they were they didn't have um the right organization to defend themselves from being enslaved. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that they were black and there was like a the, like a racial division and they saw them as lesser beings because they were black. It was because they didn't have the organization and the the ability to defend themselves from being enslaved. And before a white person even got there to like put them on their boat their slave trade boat, and I'm not excusing slavery in any way, shape, or form, or racism. It's obviously fucked. I'm just saying there there's more to the story and the the reasons behind it, the economic reasons, and and just the like logical reasons for why this went the way it did. Uh, when when whites got there, they paid other African tribes, more powerful African tribes, to enslave other African tribes, and they were enslaving each other there for a long time too. So black people enslaved other black people and they went in there and they, you know, captured these people and then they brought them and sold them to the white people. So that's just the way it worked. It was more economic than anything and it was more the ease of capturing these people than it was about them being black and like white people just hating black people. And to say that all white people hated black people at that point in history is false as well. There's many people who were opposed to slavery. And it was actually, it would be like the conservative right, the religious right that was responsible for the abolition of slavery to their own detriment. Like he, he talks about in his book how there was, there's never been like a, a group of people who abolished something that was so essential to their economy just for a moral conviction in history. Like it didn't make sense to get rid of slavery, but people did it because they knew it was wrong. You know, and they knew it went against their religious beliefs. Um, yeah, it was it was essential to the economy, and it caused a lot of death because of the Civil War. But people were willing to risk that because they knew how wrong it was. So th- that's interesting. And another interesting thing is um, in the antebellum South, which antebellum just means before the Civil War. Um, there were blacks who had their own shit, who had slaves themselves. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy, right? And, uh, you know, white people had been enslaved too in Africa. Like, they were cruising around on their boats and then they got taken over and enslaved themselves. 
So this wasn't just a racial issue, but it did become a racial issue when, uh, you know, the transatlantic slave trade happened. All these people were brought to the Americas and enslaved, you know, they were used as slaves. Now, another interesting thing that he points out, and the reason why he calls it black rednecks and white liberals is because what we know as black culture today uh, in America was actually something that has a lot of connections to uh, like a white redneck southern culture that was just like adopted by the American blacks because that's what they were surrounded by. So the a lot of people who came to settle in the south came from a certain area of Britain where they they talked in a certain way, they had a certain way of behaving and uh, a, a certain way of life. And then they they left Britain and came to America, settled in the South, and they, they brought along that manner of living with them and their manner of speech and all that. And a lot of the, the cultural things that get attributed to blacks these days um, was actually something that comes from the this, this white, redneck culture which is kind of weird right like i you you really have to read the book because it's a fucking like i don't even know how long it is i got it on audiobook or else i'd be like um reading little passages from it but that was an interesting thing to me uh was the um the connections between the redneck culture and, and what we see today as being like the the black culture which isn't really that. It's it's something. It's more of like a white redneck culture, which is weird. But sorry, that was a that was a bad way of explaining that. You gotta read the book. Thomas Sowell, Black Rednecks and White Liberals, is really interesting, and it's it's you know it's not it's fucking history, dude, and it's important to know because they're using this against us. This idea of what slavery was, where it came from, and who was behind it. It's it's all been politicized and it's it's being used for an ideological movement and it's not based on historical fact when you go back and you look at the actual history you'll find things are a lot different than what they portray to be now uh so it's less about the facts of of these people who are oppressed and more about like people who are wanting to take advantage of this thing that happened in history and use it for an agenda today and that agenda doesn't necessarily involve bringing up the quality of life of of black people. It's more about white people taking advantage of black people again, you know, because the leaders of these movements are typically rich white liberals. Not that there's much of a difference between the liberals and conservatives when you get up to the elite level, but this is the fact of what's happening. So I'd highly recommend that you guys read that book. Black Rednecks and White Liberals, or anything by Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell. Uh, he, he, the guy is very, very smart, very well-spoken and well-thought-out and and just sticks to the facts of what happened. And like I said, not excusing slavery or racism in any way, shape, or form, just letting you know that there's a lot more to the story than what you may have learned in school or through television shows, which are all dramatized and, and made to seem as horrible as possible. Uh, making white people out to be fucking absolute devils and and black people to being like like helpless or something you know there, there's always so much more to the story uh of what happened in history and oftentimes history is written by people who have an agenda for making people think a certain way about stuff right now so 
yeah, I'd highly recommend that book. He goes into like the founding fathers and and all that stuff and and the real reason why they couldn't necessarily abolish slavery right when the country was formed because there was already so many slaves and there was just like no plan for them. They're like, okay, we're going to release all these slaves right now, but like, and then what? What are they going to do? I mean, like, what what are we going to do for these people? They're just going to be... They're going to be worse off if if we set them all free because they have no way of making a living for themselves. They have no education. There's nothing like that they can do to sustain themselves. So it's like it has to be there has to be a plan, like a gradual process for the way that we abolish this system that has been in existence for thousands of years. How do we just you can't just pull the plug on it immediately. That's it's just not it doesn't work and it would be there would be so much death and destruction that it would almost be worse to immediately pull the plug than to like create a a system to like wean off it or something so it's just it's really interesting uh the actual history of slavery and it doesn't just talk about uh black slavery and white slavery it talks about all different ethnicities and cultures and uh what has happened historically so highly recommend that book Check out Thomas Soul. I will, uh, you know, leave a link to like the Amazon shit for that book. Now, another book that I'm reading right now, which is very interesting, is a book called True Believer, and I mentioned it earlier. is written by a guy named Eric Hoffer all the way back in 1951, um, and it talks about its thoughts on the nature of mass movements, and it's a very relevant book to the things we're experiencing right now with the the Trump supporters, which is like a mass movement. A lot of people have compared it to Hitler and something, you know, comparing Trump to Hitler and his followers to being Nazis or whatever, which I, I don't believe that. Uh, but it also has to do with, you know, like the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the people who are attracted to these type of movements, the Antifa movement, um, anything anything like that, like these mass movements where people kind of give away their individuality and, and start to identify with a group that has a certain agenda in mind. And he he put a lot of thought into this book to describe the types of people who are attracted to these movements, why, and, and how the movements typically go. Now, I'll read you the preface of this so you can kind of get a general idea of what it's about. Because it's really interesting, and I was... Uh, Eh, pretty fascinated by this shit. Now, ahem. So it says, This book deals with some peculiarities common to all mass movements, be they religious movements, social revolutions, or nationalist movements. It does not maintain that all movements are identical, but that they share certain essential characteristics which give them a family likeness. All mass movements generate in their adherence a readiness to die and a proclivity for united action. All of them, irrespective of the doctrine they preach and the program that they project, breed fanaticism, enthusiasm, fervent hope, hatred, and intolerance. All of them are capable of releasing a powerful flow of activity in certain departments of life. All of them demand blind faith and single-hearted allegiance. All movements, however different in doctrine and aspiration, draw their early adherents from the same types of humanity. 
they all appeal to the same types of mind. Though there are obvious differences between the fanatical Christian, the fanatical Mohammedan, the fanatical nationalist, the fanatical communist, and the fanatical Nazi, it is yet true that the fanaticism which animates them may be viewed and treated as one. The same is true of the force which drives them on to expansion and world dominion. There is a certain uniformity in all types of dedication, of faith, of pursuit of power, of unity, and of self-sacrifice. There are vast differences in the contents of holy causes and doctrines, but a certain uniformity in the factors which make them effective. He who, like Pascal, finds precise reasons for the effectiveness of Christian doctrine has also found the reasons for the effectiveness of communist, Nazi, and nationalist doctrine. However, different the holy causes people die for, they perhaps die basically for the same thing. This book concerns itself chiefly with the active revivalist phase of mass movements. This phase is dominated by the true believer, the man of fanatical faith who is ready to sacrifice his life for a holy cause. And an attempt is made to trace his genesis and outline his nature. As an aid in this effort, use is made of a working hypothesis, starting out from the fact that the frustrated predominate among the early adherents of all mass movements and that they usually join of their own accord. It is assumed, number one, that frustration of itself without any proselytizing prompting from the outside can generate most of the peculiar characteristics of the true believer, and number two, that an effective technique of conversion consists basically in the inculcation and fixation of proclivities and responses indigenous to the frustrated mind. So basically it's saying that these these movements, whatever they they might be, you know, he mentioned all these different types of mass movements, they all have a similarity where they focus on on getting these vulnerable type of people, these frustrated people. Who, who need to identify with a group. So, and, and think about somebody who you might know who's involved in, in type, one of these types of movements and think about their personality and why they might be uh, kind of, you know, like, what the fuck is the word I'm looking for? I don't know, why they might be attracted to something like that. Back to it. Uh, to test the validity of these assumptions, it was necessary to inquire into the ills that afflict the frustrated, how they react against them, the degree to which their reactions correspond to the responses of the true believer, and finally, the manner in which these reactions can facilitate the rise and spread of a mass movement. It was also necessary to examine the practices of contemporary movements where successful techniques of conversion had been perfected and applied in order to discover whether they corroborate the view that a proselytizing mass movement deliberately fosters in its adherence a frustrated state of mind and that it automatically advances its interest when it seconds the propensities of the frustrated. A lot of big words there. Uh, it is necessary for most of us these days to have some insight into the motives and responses of the true believer, for though ours is a godless age, it is the very opposite of irreligious. The true believer is everywhere, on the march, and both by converting and antagonizing, he is shaping the world in his own image. And whether we are to line up with him or against him, it is well that we should know all we can concerning his nature and potentialities. So, I mean, you know, the guy spitting some real shit, you know? It's it's true shit. Now, let me read this too. This is something interesting, and it's called the it's a section in his book called The Creative Poor. It says poverty when coupled with creativeness is usually free of frustration. 
This is true of the poor artisan, skilled in his trade, and of the poor writer, artist, and scientist in the full possession of creative powers. Nothing so bolsters our self-confidence and reconciles us with ourselves as the continuous ability to create, to see things grow and develop under our hand, day in and day out. The decline of handicrafts in modern times is perhaps one of the causes for the rise of frustration and the increased susceptibility of the individual to mass movements. So that's an interesting thing he just said there. He says that if you're creating things for yourself, if you're staying busy, if your mind is is being creative and you have something to show for it, you're less likely to be attracted to one of these types of movements and 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 to give away your individual sovereignty to to these tyrants, you know, these leaders. Um and he he actually attributes the rise of of these types of movements and people being attracted to them to the fact that most people don't do handicrafts anymore, like arts and crafts and, and making shit for themselves. Which uh, is interesting because everything is so readily available. It's so easy to get. You, it's really literally with a touch of a button, you can pretty much get anything and have it delivered right to your front door. Where back in the day, you used to have to like make stuff for yourself. So it used it was probably more fulfilling uh, to do all this stuff for yourself and you felt accomplished and you felt like you did something, you mattered. But now it's just, you know, you don't have to do anything. It's just, it comes right and falls right into your lap. And he continues, it is impressive to observe how with a fading of the individual's creative powers, there appears a pronounced inclination toward joining a mass movement. Here, the connection between the escape from an ineffectual self and a responsiveness to mass movements is very clear. The slipping author, artist, scientist, slipping because of a drying up of the creative flow within, drifts sooner or later into the camps of ardent patriots, race mongers, uplift promoters, and champions of holy causes. Perhaps the sexually impotent are subject to the same impulse. Yep, so if you can't pop a boner, you're probably going to become a Trump supporter or or a fucking Antifa commie. Makes sense. Uh, Now, this is something interesting as well, and it has to do with the theatrical aspect of these movements and why it's so essential to have a display, a display to fall back on, to make it all seem very real and very important and that they're part of something. Uh, this one is, uh, the, the subheading is make-believe. Dying and killing seem easy when they're part of a ritual, ceremonial, dramatic performance, or game. There is need for some kind of make-believe in order to face death unflinchingly. To our real naked selves, there is not a thing on earth or in heaven worth dying for. It is only when we see ourselves as actors in a staged and therefore unreal performance that death loses its frightfulness and finality and becomes an act of make-believe and a theatrical gesture. It is one of the main tasks of a real leader to mask the grim reality of dying and killing by evoking in his followers the illusion that they are participating in a grandiose spectacle, a solemn or light-hearted dramatic performance. So, basically saying you got, you got to create this 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 show of what's happening it, it, to to make because would you die for something most people wouldn't die for this type of shit if they weren't involved in like a big group and there wasn't this this whole ideological thing behind them that is driving them to be part of this group if you were just an individual who had no adherence to this this greater cause 
then you wouldn't be dying for it, obviously. It would seem ridiculous. But since you are so involved in it and everything seems so real, it's so elaborate, uh, you'll people will actually sacrifice themselves for the greater good so that they may be remembered as some sort of legend or hero or, you know, whatever, the patriot or whatever, you know? And he continues later in the book, it says, the indispensability of play acting in the grim business of dying and killing is particularly evident in the case of armies. Their uniforms, flags, emblems, parades, music, and elaborate etiquette and ritual are designed to separate the soldier from his flesh and blood self and mask the overwhelming reality of life and death. We speak of the theater of war and of battle scenes. In their battle orders, army leaders invariably remind their soldiers that the eyes of the world are on them, that their ancestors are watching them, and that posterity shall hear of them. The great general knows how to conjure an audience out of the sands of the desert and the waves of the ocean. Glory is largely a theatrical concept. There is no striving for glory without a vivid awareness of an audience. The knowledge that our mighty deeds will come to the ears of our contemporaries and of those who are to be. We are ready to sacrifice our true transitory self for the imaginary eternal self we are building up by our heroic deeds and the opinion and imagination of others. So I thought that was uh, interesting, an interesting explanation of why people will actually sacrifice their own life for an organization that, when you really look at it, doesn't give a fuck about you and is just using you as a tool uh, for something which you probably don't even really understand. You know, you don't even know the real agenda of why this war is going on or why you're invading this country or why you're supposed to hate this this certain group of people or ethnicity or religion or whatever. And this, this is a very old science. So, you know, it, it has to do with psychological nature and and behavioral psychology and all this type of shit that most people just you know wouldn't know about because we're not taught that kind of stuff and it's just whatever (laughs) i don't know but now you know so good for you i got some other shiznat to to read to you uh we're all they're talking a lot in the news about the vaccine, right? This is the big deal. We can't do anything until we have the COVID-19 vaccine. We need the vaccine. And luckily we have good old Bill Gates there looking out for us who's working so hard to to create this vaccine. And Bill Gates has a long history of philanthropical stuff where he's just helping people all around the globe. But if you do some research into it, you'll come to find out that his, uh, you know, his his benevolent actions have disastrous effects on the people who he is saying that he's trying to help. For example, uh, he he went to Africa and he started giving out this polio vaccine at a time when polio like wasn't really a problem in Africa anymore. It didn't, you know, it wasn't really doing much. It, it wasn't killing a lot of people. But he decided to go there and vaccinate. Thousands and thousands of people, and now it's on the rise again. So he he went and gave this polio vaccine and actually created a resurgence of polio. And now a bunch of people have it because of him. Ah, keep in mind, I think uh, Bill Gates is actually banned from the entire country of India for doing a similar thing where he gave a bunch of poor kids his vaccine and killed them. Now, Bill Gates' dad 
was instrumental in the creation of Planned Parenthood, who was a vowed eugenicist, and eugenicists want to depopulate the world because they believe that people who are not of their social standing, who are not as intelligent as them or what they seem to see as being intelligent, uh, they think that they don't deserve to live and that they should be eradicated from the earth. And this is a real belief of eugenicists. That's what it's all based upon. They think they have genetic superiority and you know they're more deserving of life and everyone else needs to die. So this is the guy who who is donating all of this money to create this vaccine that he says needs to be given to all 7 billion of us. This rushed vaccine that is being uh, created with the aid of Donald Trump through Operation Warp Speed. So it's not going to get any of the proper testing. It usually takes like up to 10 years to test a vaccine. And there's, there's really no safe vaccines. Uh, they're, they're all pretty fucking sketchy and they're very unnatural. And I wouldn't recommend them to anyone. I'm also reading another book right now by Dr. Vernon Coleman called... Anyone who tells you vaccines are safe and effective is lying, and it's it's a very eye-opening book uh, into the nature of vaccines and, and the disastrous effects they've had on people and the lies surrounding vaccines. The money that doctors are making from them, uh, make from them as well as, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and the politicians who are paid off by the pharmaceutical companies through uh, lobbyists and things like that. So it's a big scam. It's not as helpful as they make it out to be, and there is a lot of vested interests that go into this this whole vaccine industry. Not to mention the fact that they do have nanotechnology now, which can be uh, in the vaccines and basically injected into you to to survey you and and watch you and fucking who knows maybe explode you from the fucking inside. I don't know how this shit really works. Uh, I know that in. I think it's the latest James Bond movie, which came out in like 2015. It was called Spectre. They inject James Bond with nanobots into his bloodstream so they can track him and track his heartbeat and know where he's at and all this stuff. So, you know, James Bond does that a lot where they kind of foreshadow the technology that they have and make it seem like, you know, they're giving it to this this awesome spy who's trying to save the world when in reality most of these spy organizations are made to like fuck up the world and and benefit the global elite anyways went off on a tangent there but this is an article from the irish sentinel called i'm not going to read the whole thing but I'll, i'll give you an idea of what's it about it's called gates vaccine spreads polio across africa um Microsoft founder Bill Gates has made himself the global vaccine czar as his foundation spends billions on spreading new vaccines globally. While much attention has been given to the role of Gates behind the corrupt WHO in promoting radical untested coronavirus vaccines, the record of the Gates Foundation pushing an oral polio vaccine across Africa. Hello, hello. Ah, I lost a... I lost connection. We good? All right, I'm back. Uh, Pushing an... Oral polio vaccine across Africa gives more sobering evidence that all Gates says and does is not genuine human charity. The UN has just recently admitted that new cases of infantile paralysis, or polio, have resulted in Africa from an oral polio vaccine developed with strong support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It mirrors what happened in the USA in the 1950s. This is worth a closer look. 
And then it goes on to explain, um, you know, Bill Gates' connections to this oral polio vaccine, how they gave it to a bunch of people, and polio was pretty much gone from there. There was really no cases of it. Um, So it didn't really make sense that he went to give them this vaccine anyways. And then all of a sudden it started popping up again and a bunch of people got it again. So that's uh, good old Billy Gates for you out to help the world. And of course, like I said earlier, they simulated this whole coronavirus outbreak with the Event 201 simulation that was sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Johns Hopkins, the WHO, and Bill Gates pretty much owns the WHO. He's the biggest contributor to them behind the U.S., but Donald Trump just pulled us out of that, apparently. Uh, And another thing, did you guys know that Dr. Fauci was involved in sending the coronavirus to, to the Wuhan lab? You know, he, he was instrumental in this, and they, they all stand to make incredible amounts of money from this vaccine. Not to mention the the invasive nature of it and the transhumanist aspect of it where they're actually changing our DNA, kind of making us into robots and shit. There's a lot of nefarious stuff going on with this, and this Bill Gates motherfucker is not to be trusted. Ignorant people who are too stupid to do their own research will think that this guy is trying to help them. And if you're that fucking stupid where you won't do any of your own research and try to find out what's actually happening for yourself, then go ahead and take the vaccine. Whatever, man. Like, obviously you don't care, you know, and you trust this guy enough. So go ahead and and see how that works out for you. But I'll tell you what, I'm never getting no vaccine that this motherfucker tells me to get because it sounds pretty shitty in my opinion. But what do I know? I have another article here uh, about our friends in Sweden. Now, this is from a couple years ago, but it it's important just to let you know what the ideas are that, that have been floating around. It says thousands of Swedes are getting microchip IDs inserted into their hands to swipe into homes, offices, concerts, and even to access social media. Now, they keep saying that we can't reopen, we, we we can't go back to normal life until we get the vaccine. And then they're also saying that they, there's going to have to be multiple vaccines because you got to realize that the reason we catch a cold every year and, and like, because you, you develop resistance when you develop antibodies and that's when you become not sick anymore and you're not going to catch that particular strain of the cold. So the coronavirus will adapt and and modify itself so it becomes like a new type of virus and then you have to like get new antibodies so you, you can get sick from it again because it, it adapted and it became different and that's the reason why they tell you to get the flu flu vaccine every year even though don't get that shit it's bad for you but because it's constantly adapting and evolving so <clears throat> they're saying that you're gonna have to get a bunch of COVID-19 vaccines you're I have to get one every fucking month. Who knows? But the way they're going to do it, because I don't I don't know if they're going to do it compulsory and make it so you have to get it, but what they're talking about doing is making it so you just can't do anything if you don't have it. So it's not necessarily compulsory, but you can't go to the grocery store if you don't have it, or you can't go to a concert, or you can't go do whatever. You know, You can't get a job if you don't have this vaccine. So this is the way they're going to force it onto people. And uh, this this kind of has to do is a foreshadowing of that. So 
just to reiterate the title, it says, Thousands of Swedes are getting microchip IDs inserted into their hands to swipe into homes, offices, concerts, and even to access social media. More than 4,000 Swedish people have a tiny microchip embedded in their hand. An implant lets them enter buildings, access concerts, and share via social media. The procedure costs about 180 bucks, and the chip is the size of a grain of rice. Several companies in Sweden offer the service to their employees for free. Oh, how nice of them. More than 4,000 Swedes are being implanted with a microchip that contains details about their identity. The miniature technology bypasses the need for cash, tickets, access cards, and even social media. Biohacks International is the market leader in the innovative industry and has captured public imagination since it was started five years ago by Johan Osterlund, a former professional body piercer. Some people argue the conveniences gained by the procedure by so-called body hackers do not outweigh the risks to their private data. Uh, in June 2017, SG Rail, the Swedish train operator, announced that around 100 people were using microchips to pay for their journey. Commuters with a microchip in their hand are able to have their ticket loaded directly onto the device. The train conductor can then read the chip with a smartphone to confirm the passenger has paid for their journey. This was one of the most widespread and mainstream uses of the technology and has seen it be adopted by a plethora of forward-thinking companies. <laughs> so it's all great. You know, you're forward-thinking. You're not a fucking tyrant. Uh, microchipping has even been adopted by professional social media platform Link LinkedIn. Cecilia Varzigi, 28, said the chip basically solves my problems. <laughs> what a dumb bitch. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a guy or a girl. Uh, touching an event... Attendee's smartphone will allow the information to be transfer, transferred without the need for typing. And then it goes on to talk about how they work and all this. But th think about it, dude. This is what they're going to do with the vaccine. There will more than likely be some sort of electrical component to it. And if you don't have the fucking vaccine or if you don't have evidence of it, then you just can't get in any. You can't get in anywhere. You can't get an Uber. You can't get into the grocery store, into a concert, in anything. So this is the way that they're going to do it. And they're already talking about doing that with the tracking and tracing app through your phone, because we buy our own chains, right? They're going to use this shit to enslave us, and it's fucked, man. Uh, you know, putting a little chips in you so they know everything you do. They're literally inside of you. Do you really want the government to have that much control over you? And who's to say that it can't be some sort of like transponder or transceiver? Uh, it's definitely a transponder, but a transceiver where it can receive input and like fuck with you a little bit, you know, like a little mind control device, give you a little shock if you're fucking doing something they don't like. You know, this is not out of the realm of possibility. The technology is there. It's just a matter of getting the public to accept it. And since we have this tragedy that's going on right now, this this big event this COVID-19 pandemic which is no fucking pandemic it has a 99 point something survival rate it's bullshit but it's enough for them to get us to accept these types of things that they've been wanting us to accept for so fucking long so you know they're talking about doing the microchips a couple years ago they've had the technology for a long time and you know people are just so willing to accept it because they want to be forward thinking Ay, ay, ay. Now, uh, we have another article from the BBC called Coronavirus. Oxford University vaccine trial paused 
after participants fall ill. Uh oh. Final clinical trials for a coronavirus vaccine developed by AstraZeneca at Oxford University have been put on hold after a participant had a suspected adverse reaction in the UK. AstraZeneca described it as a routine pause in the case of an unexplained illness. The outcome of vaccine trials is being closely watched around the world. The AstraZeneca-Oxford University vaccine is seen as a strong contender among dozens being developed globally. Uh, and it has low bullet points. Oxford coronavirus vaccine trigger, triggers immune, assist, immune response. How close to developing a vaccine are we? There are little... Uh, I guess that takes me to that part of the article. Anyways, hopes have been high that the vaccine might be one of the first to come on the market following successful phase one and two testing. Its move to phase three testing in recent weeks has involved some 30,000 participants in the U.S. as well as in the U.K., Brazil, and South Africa. Phase three trials and vaccines often involve thousands of participants and can last several years. But we're going to rush this one and make it take a few months, right? That's what Donald Trump said. The New York Times is reporting a volunteer in the UK trial has been diagnosed with transverse myelitis, an inflammatory syndrome that affects the spinal cord and can be caused by viral infections. However, the cause of the illness has not been confirmed and an independent investigation will now work out if there was a link to the vaccine. At first glance, this may seem alarming. A vaccine trial, and not just any vaccine, but one receiving massive global attention, is put on hold due to a suspected serious adverse reaction. Well, it's not suspected, it happened. I mean, you're right, this guy's spine's all fucked up. It sounds like he's paralyzed or something. But such events are not unheard of. Indeed, the Oxford team describe it as a routine. Anytime a volunteer is admitted to hospital and the cause of their illness is not immediately apparent, it triggers a study to be put on hold. So they go on to talk about how everything's going to be all right and, you know, we're going to develop a vaccine faster than ever and it's for your own good, slave. Take it. Let me stab you. Uh, yeah, and that's the plan. Now, just some some facts about the vaccine industry that I recently learned. Um, first of all, they do these things called these animal trials, right? You've probably heard of animal trials where they test drugs on animals and, and it's, it's very cruel to the animals to say the least. Uh, but people say, well, at least it's, they're not testing it on humans. I guess it's a little better if it's a monkey than a human. But what they don't tell you is that the reason they do this is because if they inject a monkey or whatever with a vaccine or a rat, uh, whatever they're using, whatever type of animal they're abusing, um, if the if the animal has an adverse reaction to to the vaccine, then they say that well the vaccine is still okay because it's a rat and that's not a human so it's fine <laughs> and then they move forward with it and then if if there's no adverse reaction from from the rat or whatever then they move forward with it so it's like either way they win even if the the, the fucking animal dies or whatever or, or gets all fucked up, then they still can move forward with it. Isn't that crazy? And, and if it works, it works. So it's a win-win for him. And this is just one of the many contradictions and like blatant insanities that have to do with the vaccine industry. And, and the fact that general practitioners, uh, they receive massive payments for giving vaccinations and huge bonus payments for vaccinating large quantities of, 
of, of patients. So they have deals with the pharmaceutical companies, the doctors do, where they get extra money if they vaccinate you. Because the vaccines cost a lot of money, right? It's not free. Uh, if you're not paying for it, your insurance company is, and they're making a bunch of money from it. And it doesn't matter if the vaccine is unsafe and that there's uh, adverse reactions from people. You know, the the doctor would most likely encourage it on you because he's gonna he gets money deposited directly in his bank account if he gives it to you. You know that isn't that a vested interest? I mean, that's very suspicious. Like, what a scumbag. Ah, uh, anyways, let me read you a few things um, from Dr. Vernon Coleman from his book, Anyone Who Tells You Vaccines Are Safe and Effective Is Lying. Uh, okay, it goes, vaccination is widely respected by doctors and others in the healthcare industry because of the assumption that it is through vaccination that many of the world's most lethal infectious diseases have been eradicated. But this simply isn't true. It is a myth. As I've shown in many books... Uh, infectious diseases were conquered by the provision of cleaner drinking water and better sewage facilities. The introduction of vaccination programs came along either just at the same time or later when the death rates from the major infectious diseases had already fallen. There really isn't any evidence to show that vaccination programs have ever been of any real value, either to individuals or to communities. So he's saying that the the... The diseases that we say vaccines eradicated were actually eradicated by cleaner, uh, like more cleanliness, better sewage systems and, and hand washing and then simple things like that, that stopped the spread of disease. It had nothing to do with the vaccines in the first place, but the vaccines were touted as being, you know, fucking awesome. Um Later in the book, it says the evidence shows that the diseases which are supposed to have been wiped out by vaccines were disappearing long before vaccines were introduced. And the argument that we are living longer is a statistical myth, which rests upon the fact that in the past, the infant mortality rate was much higher than it is now because of contaminated drinking water and other public health problems. When the infant mortality rate is high, the average life expectation is low. When the infant mortality rate falls, then the average life expectation rises. If one person dies at the age of one and the other dies at the age of 99, they have an average lifespan of 50 years. If the person who died prematurely lives longer, then the average lifespan will be much longer. So this this idea that they attribute vaccination with longer lifespans is completely false as well because there's less babies dying because they don't got to drink fucking contaminated shit water. You know, and it does it really surprise you that we've been lied to about this when there's billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars to be made from this? And maybe you're reducing the population as well. Hmm? I don't know. Uh, scientists have apparently developed a banana vaccine by creating genetically engineered banana plants. There are plans to develop bananas which protect against hepatitis B, measles, yellow fever, and poliomyelitis. Other scientists have developed a genetically engineered potato designed to be used as a vaccine against cholera. The active part of the potato remains active during the process of cooking, and so a portion of genetically engineered chips could soon be a vaccine against cholera. So isn't that nice? They're making GMO food that are actually vaccines. And basically, they're trying to make a vaccine for everything, even obesity. You know, so <laughs> rather than... Uh, 
fucking like changing your lifestyle and maybe eating healthier food and exercising, simple things that that could keep you fit, uh, you're just going to go get a a vaccine, right? Because it's simple and easy and your doctor said so. Never mind the fact that he's getting paid to say that shit, a lot of money, just like doctors were paid to make it seem like patients are dying of COVID-19, just like doctors are paid to put patients on ventilators, even though that was killing people. Uh, Later in the book, he says, to summarize, my argument against vivisection is very simple. Now, vivisection is animal testing. And this is what I mentioned earlier. It says, my argument against vivisection is very simple and there is no answer to it. I actually have two main arguments. First, drugs are allowed onto the market even if they cause problems in animals on the grounds that animals are different to humans and drugs which don't cause problems in the tested animals are allowed onto the market on the grounds that they have been proved to be safe. So do you see how blatantly contradicting that is? Second, the vivisectors admit that over half of their experiments on animals are unreliable and worthless, but they also admit that they don't know which of the experiments are in the minority, which they claim may be useful. So they clearly don't ever know which of the experiments may be of value. And if you don't know which experiments are of value, then all of them are useless. Now, this guy uh, goes on to, he just he just shits all over vaccines. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's pretty in-depth, the exploration he does of, of vaccination and um, how ineffective they really are and how there's just a whole idea surrounding them. That's just untrue. Um, let's go with the polio one because he he talks about how – oh, wait. This is – I'll talk about this because I had previously mentioned this. It says, we don't develop immunity to influenza and the common cold because the viruses that cause the, these diseases are constantly mutating and changing. So that's why we, we get the cold over and over because they're they're always mutating and adapting and changing. Like I said earlier, like that's why they say they're going to need multiple COVID-19 vaccines because it's, it's going to keep changing. And for the same reason, the anti-flu vaccine will be useless within months, weeks, or days. For the drug companies, this is great news because it means they can insist that everyone who is vaccinated needs revaccinating regularly. Boom. That's why they want you to get the flu vaccine every year. And a lot of people who get the flu vaccine... Like, well, never, they never get the flu previously, and then, then they get the fucking flu because they've just been infected with it. And uh, last but not least, I just wanted to talk about the, the polio thing because this is like the main thing touted by, touted by um, people who support vaccination because this is the propaganda that they're fed that vaccination uh, was what eradicated polio. Even though I just read you the article about how the polio vaccine was actually causing polio in Africa, the the one that Bill Gates just gave a bunch of poor kids. It says, doctors trying to promote vaccines often claim that the disease polio was eradicated by the use of a vaccine. This is, to put it politely, a barefaced lie. I know facts are unfashionable with the medical establishment these days, but the hard evidence shows quite conclusively that the polio vaccine has endangered vast numbers of healthy people, still kills healthy people, and played no part in eradicating the disease. Proof that the introduction of the polio vaccine wasn't the success it is often made out to be isn't difficult to find. In Tennessee, the number of polio victims the year before vaccination became compulsory was 119. The year after vaccination was introduced, the figure rose to 386. So it caused more cases of polio, the vaccine did. 
In North Carolina, the number of cases before vaccination was introduced was 78, while the number after the vaccine became compulsory rose to 313. These are similar figures for uh, there are similar figures for other American states. If you don't believe me, check out the figures. The evidence isn't that hard to find. In America as a whole, the incidence of polio increased dramatically by around 50% after the introduction of mass immunization. The number of deaths from polio had fallen dramatically before the first polio vaccine was introduced. The truth is that as with other infectious diseases, the significance of polio dropped as better sanitation, better housing, cleaner water, and more food were all made available in the second half of the 19th century. It was social developments rather than medical ones, which increased human resistance to infectious diseases. And uh, throughout the book, he he basically goes over like all these um, different fucking viruses and explains like how none of them were eradicated because of vaccination. It was it was because of all these other reasons, <laughs> and they were like already gone. And then they started vaccinating people for them, and then they they like reappeared. So it's completely does the opposite of what they say it does. And uh, just to conclude, it says, how effective is vaccination? Between 20% and 50% of individuals who are vaccinated against a disease do not develop a resistance to the disease against which they have been allegedly immunized. In other words, up to half of the healthy individuals who are vaccinated and whose health and lives are therefore put at risk because there are adverse reactions to some vaccines by some people, gain no benefit whatsoever from the vaccination. In their rush to get to the next patient, doctors and nurses may sometimes forget to mention this. And of course, of course uh, don't forget that they're being paid to vaccinate you. So, I mean, it's something to think about. You know, they obviously make your own decisions, make your own decisions for your family and your kids, but, um, you know, there there is a lot of logic and and thought that goes behind these people who are against vaccines. And there's, there's evidence that um, we're being lied to. Go figure, right? Um, I'll read one more little article here just so you can kind of see what's going on in the Bay Area in the Bay you busy it says uh, Bay Area says employees will be required to work from home three days a week after the pandemic to reduce greenhouse gas emissions <laughs> So you got to stay home if you live in the Bay because you're releasing too much greenhouse gases. And uh, don't forget that the governor of California just said that he's going to ban all gas vehicles by 2030 or, or 2035. One of those. And this is all part of Agenda 21, all part of Agenda 2030. They want us on electric vehicles or just on public transportation so they know exactly where you are at all times so they can fucking track you. Uh, and, and it's all under the guise of climate change. And people are so stupid that they'll actually believe that and be like, oh, I want to save the planet and stuff. <laughs> but it's not about that. It never was and it never will be. Keep in mind, they control the weather, right? They're creating all these fires in California. They're manipulating the jet stream. They could put out these fires if they wanted to. They could make it rain there. They could put out the fires. They could not start the fires with their laser beams and shit. <laughs> uh, it's crazy, man. Okay, it says the Metropolitan Transportation Commission approved a plan that would require Bay Area residents to work from home three days a week. 
So how do you do that? I mean, what if you have a job where you can't work from home? What if you're like, I don't know. What if you're a pro skateboarder and you can't, you know, you got to go get tricks. Can't skate in your living room. I mean, you can, but. The proposal, which was voted on Wednesday, would ensure that sizable office-based companies keep 60% of their workers home. And this is it. We're going through the big trial of that, right? They wanted to see how many people they could get to work from home and how efficient it was. That was part of the COVID-19 thing we're living through. Transportation officials hope it will reduce greenhouse gas emissions and curb climate change in the area. Some residents and workers oppose the plan by noting that working remotely is not ideal for many people. Big tech companies in Bay Area have already transitioned much of their operations online, and some have made remote work a permanent feature. It says a new proposal could require Californians to work remotely three days a week, even after the COVID-19 pandemic, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to aid in their environmental efforts. A number of Bay Area residents, including employees at large tech firms, were concerned over a new proposal approved by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission on Wednesday. The controversial proposal would effectively ensure that sizable office-based companies kept 60% Of their workers at home on any given workday to curb climate change. (laughs) Oh, that's great. What a a fucking joke. Given the changes in travel patterns during the coronavirus pandemic, there was strong support for bolder policies on this front in the final blueprint, including a mandate for office-based employers, the proposal read. Now, remember when uh, this pandemic first started and there was like a strict lockdown where they said that, Like you can't even leave your house. And then you would see all these pictures on social media saying, look how clear the sky is. I haven't seen the sky this clear ever. And it's like, fuck, basically insinuating that the world would be so much better if nobody ever drove cars. This was part of it. This is all, you got to understand, this is all coordinated effort. They had this shit planned out ahead of time and it always goes along with their agenda. It's amazing. Uh, To ensure this strategy achieves equity goals, a complementary strategy to expand internet access in undeserved communities was added to the economy element as well. What does that mean, undeserved communities? What? Sounds racist. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so... And it just shows pictures of all these traffic jams. Uh, The latest proposal underscores a larger shift towards remote work that became commonplace after the COVID-19 pandemic hit the United States in January. So they make it seem like it was all, it's all just random, like, oh, it's just a spur of the moment idea. Shit, maybe we can always work from home. COVID-19 has proven that, right? In reality, it was planned far ahead of time and and it's all coordinated. By March, entire office buildings shuttered and industry stumbled as employers struggled to transfer in-person operations to out of the workplace. But but now, six months later, city officials and some employers viewed the forced transition as an unrealized benefit that could reshape office culture and transportation. There's an opportunity to do things that could not have been done in the past, said Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, a commission member and proposal supporter per NBC News. Anyways, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You know, you know what it says. It says you got to stay home. Can't drive your cars. Because you are ruining the planet. Never mind the military or or the guys controlling the weather or all the bombs that are dropped day after day and all the shit they spray in the atmosphere and, 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 you know, the big industrial polluters. 
they're fine. It's you and your little Honda Civic or, you know, your diesel truck that's destroying the world. And, uh, yeah, don't have any babies. Kill your kids. That's what they tell you. Anyways, <laughs> kind of some... Yeah, whatever. It's not surprising. It's just it's what we're going through here. So keep your eyes open. Um, pay attention to what's going on in the world. Or or not. Get away. Go go camping. Go get out of here. Do something fun. You know, life is meant to be enjoyed. It doesn't matter that you don't necessarily have to let all this stuff affect you, but if you're interested in it, it's important to know what's happening and uh, to tell people about it. Otherwise, how are things ever going to change? You know, it's it's very important to see through the lies and realize what's happening so hopefully we can make things change for the better. That's the reason why I do these types of things and uh, that's the reason why I make kind of more political music. I think I would be a lot more successful if I focused on other things, but it's just what I think about all the time, so it's it's what's real to me, and that's why I do it, and hopefully you guys find some value in it, and if you do, uh, don't hesitate to donate to me and help me chug along over here. You can see that, ways to do that at homagethelionkiller.com, buy some merch or whatever, you know, shirts, sweaters, CDs, or just donate. You know, that'd be dope. So if you made it this far, congrats. This kind of went on for a long time. I'll send you off with the with the song here. And uh, thanks a lot. You know, stay up out there. Have a good day. Peace out. Hey, yeah, let me just get a Sierra Nevada and a shot of Casadores, please. Oh, shit, what up, homage? Long time no see, bro. Ah, uh, what up, dude? Good to see you. Hey, I've been following you on IG, so you're traveling the world and shit. That's crazy. Ah, uh, yeah, I just went to Southeast Asia for a little bit. It was tight, though. Hey, fucking A, well, let me buy you a beer. You can tell me all about shit, it, man. Shit, I'm down with that. It's a long story, though. Check it out. As a child, couldn't wait to get big. Didn't know how, I just knew I'd get rich But time moves quick, dissolves all myths Soon grew into a man who didn't have shit Did a bit of college, got good grades Till I saw the aim was to make good slaves Thought, okay, I'll just play the sales game Till my name gains fame and I really get paid There I was waiting, feeling impatient Thinking I ain't never gonna blow Let's face it, I hate this job Tired of my town Woman that I love doesn't want me around And so now I have a choice Sitting just right or travel the globe Live my best life If you guess I traveled, I said you guess Right, I quit my job and then caught the next flight. Peace. Yeah, yeah. Yo, I'm going overseas where the palm trees blow in the breeze. Home on the beach with jet skis. Know what I mean? Rolling, smoking the green. It's so peaceful, escaping the evil. This the deceitful. I gotta see the world and experience life. See it with my own eyes. There to hear what it's like. And though it might be hard, I'm ready for that. I got machetes for that. I'll leave your head in your lap. Flashback to the days leading up to my quest. I'm a sucker for sex. I was saying nothing but yes. I was stressed because I went and got the wrong girl pregnant. Pussy wasn't even that good, and I'm regretting it. She's keeping the baby. I'm going crazy. Had to tell my lady. Knew she would hate me Later on after me hurting my ex Found out it wasn't mine The paternity test Damn so don't ask me how, but I'm a bachelor now Got my bags all packed and I'm dashing now Touchdown in Bangkok, five to Chiang Mai Then go Chiang Rai and hop the border to Hoi Zai Slide in the fly where they all speak Thai And the kids get high and go on motorbike rides Say bye, go to see him reading Phnom Penh Genocide makes sunsets the blood red Left for the islands, 
Everyone's smiling. Kids sell bracelets and get me to buy them. I dive in the seat, get high by the seat. Watch a boat full of folks capsize in the seat. Then I leave to go meet up with a friend in Bali, but he couldn't get a flight. Said he was sorry, then I lost my debit card. That shit sucked. Had no bucks without cash, you're fucked. Went to a booth where the monkeys are. Went to Gilead, swam with a bunch of sharks. Took a boat to Lombok to climb Rinjani. 20 mile hike in the West Tsunami. Go to Kuta Lombok, meet a nice kid. Everywhere I went, had the only white skin. Dipped to Manila and glance around, but couldn't help but frown cause of the shanty town. Took a night bus up to Batard and saw God when the beauty of the mountainside is fired off. Saw Cebu City dudes picking through trash. Poor street begging, young kid with no hands. Sad man, some of the shit just ain't right. Widespread plights of pain of all types. That's what you gain from life when one roams. Three months later, time to come home. So I get a ticket, then I buy a plane ride out. And wow, I'm quite proud. I'm a changed guy now. Makes me realize how out of place this sounds. But a while back, shit, I used to hate this town. Now I look around, amazed at roadways. Have the raw paved, now I'm worried about roadways. Less stray dogs, more clean water, and more guns. But could probably use a few less cunts and more monks. Puts a lot of shit into perspective. Makes me realize all the prizes I'm blessed with. Makes me wanna get rich, cause it's opportunity too. Makes me wanna rearrange what I usually do. Makes me wanna use music to travel more. So I can go around and represent Battleborn. Gotta plan a tour, gotta buy some merch. Yo, but first things first, gotta write this verse. Wait, so now you don't have a job or any money? What are you doing? I've been at the pad making that freelance cheese Sitting back writing raps to the Sealance beat That's me, just a greasy slob with no job Living low cost, just beat off and smoke pot Nah, I'm kidding, wait, maybe I'm not, but who cares Yo, I made it, last show I got paid in a few beers Oh yeah, remember back at the beginning of the song Oh, I was gonna be a dad, but I was living all wrong Well, I've been working it out with my girl Everything's been going alright in my world And the moral of the story is chase your dreams Fly away overseas, embrace the scene When you get back, shit'll be the same as you left it But you'll see it different cause you changed Change your perception. Thank you for listening while I rhyme this. A recap of my once in a lifetime trip.